You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. It's Wednesday, you know what that means, new episode of Delirious Nomads. Your podcast brought to you by Metal Blade Records, Blacklight Media Records, where we talk most things metal. We are loving these occasions where a guest comes on and we have to stretch it into a part two. And so, such is the case with our good friend, Mike Latronico, who uh, we learned all kinds of things about last week, sort of how he got to be where he is today and some of the amazing acts he's worked with and some of the great stories. Um, but before we knew it, time was up and we hadn't covered, you know, probably, you know, the biggest, the biggest piece of his legacy at this point was, is, you know, being Slayer's tour manager for their last decade of, of existence, including the incredible farewell tour. Um, that was, uh, I, I was, I was witness to how hard you worked at many of those shows um, and how you were being pulled in 30 different directions. So welcome back, Mike. Thanks for taking time to do two of these. And yeah, let's get into the Slayer years. Right on. I, I, that's pretty much where we left off. It's been kind of interesting like I told you to at least spout off about my career experience because I don't get to I'll talk about it too often. So I'm pretty sure where we left off was Megadeth led to Slayer. And that's a pretty interesting little story there is uh, we were on the Carnage tour for however long that was. And then Carnage tour was also Big Four tour. So when Big Four was going on, that was Big Four. And then Carnage was when Big Four wasn't going on. And we all got to be friends. So Megadeth, not really the, the guys that, that hang out and, and party a lot, but uh, Kerry King is definitely the kind of guy that hangs out and has fun after shows. So him and I, um, and as well as uh, Dave Lombardo, because Dave was still with the band at that time, we just became really good friends because we we're all out late. There came a time where, where my time with Megadeth was done after, a I think it was a long five and a half week or five week tour of South America, which is at least two and a half weeks too long. And... <laughs> Um, came out of that and we parted ways at the same time Slayer parted ways with their tour manager who had been their tour manager for like five years. Um, I'd been with Dave for almost two and Jim was with Slayer for about five. You remember Jim, I'm sure. I'm not sure if I do or not. And I was trying to remember where I met you. If I met you on on um, when I was with Megadeth or when I was actually went over to Slayer, I couldn't really figure it out, but it's right along. I think it was Slayer. Yeah, Yeah, I did too. But so, um, 
So Jim left and I left our respective bands and we flip-flopped. So Jim went over to Megadeth for another, I think he lasted with him like two, two and a half years. And I came over to Slayer for almost nine, um, which worked out really well for me. Again, I, I kind of like found my home. Like I got along with that entire band. And as a tour manager, one of the hardest parts of being a tour manager, I mean, most of it's all logistics, you know, it's, it's moving people, it's dealing with money, it's trying to see bigger pictures, it's, it's acting uh, quickly and, and when things go wrong and, and that kind of confidence and, and level of, of experience, but a big part of it's personality. And as a tour manager, you don't always work out. You don't always work out. And that's just because you your personality doesn't fit with some of them or whatever, or maybe a wife doesn't like you or, or something else. So it can be volatile and you can <laughs> make a joke about, you mean your own wife, but never mind. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, somebody else's wife didn't like me. I lost my job from that, but um, really? yeah, that was during the Slayer year. So, um, and it wasn't a Slayer wife, obviously, because they stayed with Slayer, yeah. but um, so, I mean, it's, it's difficult being a tour manager sometimes. And, but I fit really well with Slayer. You know, because Slayer is a bunch, it, this is four different personalities. And, you know, the two, I came in when, when Jeff was still alive, but, you know, he'd already been uh, dealing with the, um, with the spider bite and everything else that was going on with his life. So, I mean, when I was with him, he was, he was on the uh, Carnage tour for a good part of that until Gary Holt came in. And then um, he came, I think the last time I saw Jeff was at, um, big four Coachella where he came and played mm. and he hadn't played in months and that was the last show he ever played. But um, so, I mean, I ended up being really good friends with all of them. I mean, I'm still really good friends with Dave Lombardo. I just saw him a couple of weeks ago when he was playing with playing with Testament. He's playing yeah. with Testament. Yeah. He's playing with Testament now. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good for me. I, I meshed really great with that band and Slayer stayed my main, my main squeeze <laughs> for, uh, for all that time. And the good thing about Slayer is, they literally tour every year, or at least they did, right? I mean, even if it was a, a short year, which was like three and a half, four months of touring, they still worked every single year. Mm. Um, I think their entire career, they did that. I think they only had one year off in the entire 36, 37 years that they'd been a band. They'd only had one year that they did not go on the road. You think they, you think they um, hung it up too early? Um, I think that they, oh, I know they had another record in them and you know, it's, it's, it's just the, the, the dichotomy of the, of the two, the two main guys that were left, you know, Tom, Tom was, was pretty much done. You know, he, I think, well, I know, I know the death of Jeff really affected him and it really, in in a, in a, in a way to where um, he really started looking at his life. And that's how it, honestly, that's how I know they toured every year. Cause Tom told me that he's just like, man, I've been on the road every single year since I was a kid. Um, and he was, you know, I think tired is the wrong word. I think he was just kind of done with it. So when Jeff passed, it just kind of put a really big spotlight on it for Tom. So Tom just, he started getting his end game together, right? I think with the success of Repentless and the, the great sessions that, that the Repentless sessions were and all that and the, the massive tour that we got out of that and all the young faces that we saw on that tour and all that, that came from that, I think Tom just saw it as this is my way of going out and going out on top. And you see so many bands that can't make that decision because of financial reasons or their love of the road reasons or whatever. It takes a lot, I think, to walk away from it. So Kerry, I think he would probably has another 10 years in it. I mean, again, it's like, well, I've always said this. It's like 
Slayer's not like a, a Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones and, and um, Glimmer Twins and, and those guys, they can sit there and play sloppy blues until they're 95 years old and it still sound cool. Mm-hmm. But the amount of speed and accuracy and everything that Slayer plays at and metal bands play at, I think there's a timeline. I mean, you, I can't see these guys doing it in their late 60s or their 70s. It just doesn't, to me, it, you know, your your body just doesn't work that way anymore. So, but Carrie, I know he's chomping at the bit and he's yeah, he working actually, on something. I'm aware of what he's working on to a certain extent, but um, but he actually teased something for the first time in the press um, yesterday or today where he said, uh, you know, he's been kind of dragging his feet, waiting, waiting to see this pandemic through and not want to be like, a, you know, a guinea pig and but he said he's going to be making formal announcements very very soon which is very exciting yeah we've been waiting been waiting too because i mean i talked to him a lot and we're still really good friends and he's he's shared some of the stuff he wrote over the pandemic with me and and stuff like that and i kind of know what's going on but i mean he's put this date off so many times because originally on the last tour he was Every night he threw out a couple picks that literally said on him reborn 2020 he had every intention of staying out on the road and right. putting together this new band and and um and and keep being who Carrie King is. So during the pandemic it just that just kept getting extended like everything else but you know obviously that's not in the press but he um you know he he wanted to go out this year. He did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he was talking about it during the pandemic. It's like, you know, as soon as, as soon as we get to 2022, you know, um but it just didn't work out. I, yeah. I think that between the timing and, and the way it is out there on the road right now, I mean, there's a there's a lack of everything. There's a lack yeah. of trucks. There's a lack of buses. There's a lack of skilled um, roadies. Yeah. You know, and everybody and their grandma's out there right now. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lack of venues to play. Yeah. So I think he, I, honestly, except for the fact of, you know, he gets older every day, but still, he he seems like he he's definitely in, I think the, the break really helped him. Yeah. You know, it kind of gave him a, it gave well, it gave us all kind of a little bit breathing room, whether we wanted it or not. We got it. So I think he got a lot of breathing room, and he's just you know he's he's been playing guitar a lot, and he's just ready to go. He looks ready great to physically too. Like he's in, he's oh, in dude! Room, so yeah. yeah, he he dropped some pounds, and you know he's he looks yeah he's he's ready to go. And I think when he when he finally comes out with us, I think people are gonna freak. Yeah, no, for sure. Again, we're not gonna talk about it, but the limited. Amount of info I have, it's pretty mind blowing. So super excited. But let's, we're not talking about Carrie, we're talking about you. Take, take, <laughs> take our listeners and even me and Matt through the mechanics of a, of a Slayer tour. Like, give us things like, first of all, does the buck stop with you? Are you the boss of the entire operation? Um, number one. Number two, you know, do you work closely with the, with like, cause you know, there's all this pyro and stuff going on. Like, are you part of the, the, the logistics of that? How many people are, you know, how many, how many, what, how big is it? Cause I remember we, we hosted the the famous Thanksgiving on the eve of their final show ever. And you know, a lot of the, a lot of the crew is there, but I know it wasn't the entire crew. Like, how big is the crew? Just kind of take us beyond what a Slayer production looks like. Gotcha. Well, in being a tour manager, yes, you're, you're kind of the, the overall boss or overall um, you, you look over the entire tour, but I've always seen it as it's a partnership because there's two of us. There's me who is a tour manager and I'm overlooking all the finances, dealing with um, crew issues, dealing with moving all the people and all the logistics that go with that, dealing with uh, settling with the venues and and man- and dealing with management and agents and all that fun stuff. And then there's the production manager. And that was a guy named Pat. And Pat and I have been friends for 
God, a long time. And I brought him into this when I got hired. Um, Slayer Management had a couple of people on the on the hook to be the production manager, and nobody really panned out. So I threw this guy at it. <clears throat> he came from a jam band background, not a metal background. So I thought that was going to be an interesting fit, and he fit perfect. So production manager, he sets the show. He's the one that's dealing with, um, I'm dealing with getting the buses done and all the hotels and the flights and making sure the crews are done. And, the, and then we have tour books that we have to compile and all this stuff, reaching out Chris to all Santos the different promoters. Guest list. Yes, Chris Santos and his 10 friends, and they're going to show up at some party bus and they need parking and Jägermeister, stuff like that. So I deal with all that. And, I'm, and as you know, you know, you know me better than you knew Pat, because I'm the guy who's dealing with all the guests and I'm, I'm kind of like a concierge at times, mm-hmm. um, host, a concierge, whatever. So Pat, he's the one that would deal with the crew in general and putting on the show, right? He's the one that's there at eight in the morning uh, doing load in with, with, uh, with trucks and crew. And um, him and I both were in on design with the band. But at the end of the day, Pat became more of a per- into production design than I did. I was just like an idea guy. So as far as the crew goes, at that final tour, we were up to all tour. We were up to, I think we were feeding about 80 to 85 people a day wow. on our tour. And that included the, the opening bands and the opening bands, crews and everything. But Slayer crew was about 50 people at that time. How was that? Testament, Phil Anselmo and... Well, the final leg was, oh man, I got to remember this. It was... Um, Lamb of God? No. Phil Anselmo. Yeah. No, Lamb of God wasn't on the last one. So yeah, yeah. it was it was Phil and Selmo, Moth. No. Oh yeah, that's it. Phil and Selmo, Moth. I mean, Ministry, Primus, Slayer. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. They changed it up for that final leg. I mean, I, Lamb I of God Primus was, was an interesting call for that. We all did, and it fit somehow, some way. It fit because I mean, when we first found out about it from management, and everything we're talking about it on the band bus, and. Nobody thought, was, you know, everyone likes Primus just fine, unless it's a great guy. It's a great band. But yeah. we also know Slayer Slayer fans. Right. And Slayer fans can be pretty brutal to anybody that's not metal. But, you know, Les knew what he was up against. I mean, I, he'd done tours with, with Mastodon and some other metal bands. He fits really well. He's an oddball. Um, but, I mean, they they brought their their heaviest set. Yeah. You know, to try, to try to keep it as heavy as they could. You know, they didn't, there was a couple songs there that Primus songs that, just wouldn't fit that they didn't do but for the most part they came out and crushed it every night and we were impressed um, yeah because it worked and it's also that thing i'd I'd actually like your input on this like like i've had people tell me there's sort of a thing of like especially on a heavy bill putting the slight like the one of the less heavy bands right before the headliner so when they come out they like destroy your brain right because like player after ministry because ministry is functionally similar is not going to have the same impact as Slayer after Primus. You're you're absolutely right. I don't I don't think that that was that was this the mechanics of that. But you're right. That happens on a lot of tours. Um, but I mean, because before Primus, we had Lamb of God right before us every time. Yeah. I mean, that's talk about two of very bands that are very alike. Well, I remember seeing but, I remember seeing Slayer and Gojira at at, MS, at MSG, and like that was you know very interesting because. Gojira brings the heavy as well. You know what I mean? But yeah. still, but still Slayer would follow up. And also Deftones. Deftones are, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time. Chino's a friend. But I've seen Slayer play before Deftones, and I've seen Deftones play before Slayer. And Deftones definitely benefit by going on before Slayer. 
<laughs> There's one thing that that I'll, I'll tell you is everybody benefits going on before Slayer. Following Slayer is not an easy feat. Um, okay. On the Carnage tour, Megadeth would only follow Slayer in France because they're bigger in France because of the one Atulamon. So they're a little bit bigger, but still, it wasn't easy. We watched them destroy so many bands, and then you would have problems like there was this time in, in I think it was our last South American tour. See the last one, the second last, the second to last one. So it was in 2018. We were in, um, we were playing these these festivals called the Maximus Festival, and 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 it was like in Buenos Aires and and uh, Sao Paulo and one other place. And Lincoln Park had just hit the scene again on that. And um, same thing with uh, what was that Rage Against the Machine, the Prophets of Rage. They yeah, were yeah. they were both on that that show. Prophets of Rage played after us. Lincoln Park played right before us on a on a different stage. Was it a different stage? All I really remember was Lincoln Park stopped 25 minutes, stopped their sh- set 25 minutes early because between every single song, all the crowd did was chant Slayer. <laughs> I mean, and even during their songs, they were chanting Slayer. So they literally, they cut their set short because right. they were tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, and so many bands, I mean, good bands that are solid that, you know, it's just a Slayer crowd can be a little bit uh, yeah. um, relentless. <laughs> yeah so um kind of just we're bouncing around all over the place so i know you know ty tom's been i don't i know carrie very well obviously we're very good friends i'm not very good friends with tom but he's always been very kind to me um when i've seen him but you know i know he was dealing those last couple of years with hearing issues right he's always had some hearing well as long as i was with the band he had hearing issues. Did, but you think yes. that, had, that, that, that must have played a part in in kind of calling it as well right you know what i honestly i think Tom was the perfect storm, you know, a, he'd been doing it all his life. He was kind of tired of it. B he really loved his family. And I mean, he, where he lives and everything, he built a nice compound and, you know, family, he had just had a, you know, he's, he's, he was just a brand new grandpa. I think that changed some things because he loves his granddaughter. Um, so I think, you know, between family and, and he felt comfortably financially and everything else, it was just like, he was just kind of done, you know? And honestly, since that last Slayer show, I've heard from I've heard I've heard from Sander like maybe three times and Tom, um, maybe once. Mm. I mean, he just kind of poof. So when he was on tour, wouldn't he, am I correct in believing he would like fly home between shows? Yes. Yeah. Most all of them. Well, there there was a couple of years there where he literally was every single day off. He would he would fly home, and if I could get him out that night. That was even better. If not, he was taking, he would literally step off the stage. He would go to an airport hotel and then he would get on like a 5 a.m. flight home mm. uh, and then come back on show day, which again is, that's like for a tour manager, it's always nervous, nerve wracking because right. there's a delay. Flights, all kinds of shit happens. And he wasn't flying private. That's way too much money. So, but it never, it never screwed up on us. Thank God. Didn't Gary have to miss a bunch of dates because you're doing Exodus stuff or whatever, like, and Phil Demo came in or something? Well, when Phil came in, and that was 2018 on the final tour on the European leg, Gary had a, um, Gary had a loss in his family mm-hmm. and he had to leave. It was, with his, it was, his dad got really sick and he had to go. Um, so Phil right there stepped in, he came out. He uh, he came out and he played like in the in the background. So like Slayer would be playing and Phil would be standing backstage, off stage somewhere with his guitar playing all the things and um, just kind of going through all the motions. And then I think he did that for like two or three shows. And then Gary left and Phil finished the tour. And it was it was cool again just to see 
and not even just a, a you know a fresh face, but just a a fresh way of guitar, right? I mean, they were still playing Jeff's parts, but Gary plays them different than Jeff, and Phil play, plays them different than Gary. Now they're a little flair. And honestly, I've always loved Phil Devil. He's oh yeah, he's great. Since the first time they were on um, Sounds of the Underground, so when I first met him back in 2006, we became friends. Mm-hmm. I did uh, the Mayhem Festival in 2013 with Machine Head, and I had my own tour bus, which is ridiculous. Um, and I bet pretty, that much, was. pretty much every night, I would kidnap Phil, and he'd end up taking my bus to, uh, to the Machine Head bus. Would leave; he wasn't on there. He's hanging out partying with me on my bus, and we <laughs> we hang out all night playing cards, listening to music. Um, he's I mean, really bonded. Like what's the, one of the nicest guys in the in in I was gonna say one of the nicest guys in metal. He's one of the nicest guys on earth he's just such a yeah such he is, a he's a real such yeah, a he's a super good guy and i've gone to a couple of football games with him and carrie because they're you know they're both big raider fans and phil's still well haven't gone to one in vegas i've gone to a football game with carrie in vegas but not phil yet um so you know when you watch reality shows on television right there's always drama right because it's not really reality it's kind of semi-scripted and the reason there's drama is because if everything was just nice and easy nobody would watch so, yep. so tell us, you don't have to name names, but tell, and it doesn't have to be about Slayer even, but like over the years as a tour manager, what are some of the dramatic kind of incidents that you've had to correct on the fly or that? Cause, cause I've seen you like kind of stressed out, but not so long. <laughs> probably <laughs> like what stresses you out um, most on the road. And can you share a couple of stories of things that went wrong that you had to solve or maybe, maybe they didn't get solved. Anything come to mind? Well, you know, it, on the fly, I'm not getting a lot come to mind. What what comes to mind first is when you said reality shows, because I was with um, I was with Snoop Dogg when, oh God, what was that show called? He had a show on E Entertainment. I think it was E Entertainment. He had his own reality TV show, mostly scripted, and then things would happen. But still, so, but as far as on the on the road, I mean, there's been all kinds of of weird situations, and a lot of them I can't really speak to because <laughs> I'll get people in trouble. Now, honestly. It's funny, you know, in this business, you see a lot of people having to sign uh, non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. And the only one I was ever had to sign was with uh, a jam band. And there was really nothing to even talk about those guys. Really? So technically, I'm not bound to any legal things. It's just more of a moral thing. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Again, I wasn't looking But, for you know, the, the, a lot of the curveballs, which is you just never know how it's going to come. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good a good example. You know, when guests come, that's always that's always a pain in the butt. Any LA show, that you know what? You'll see me the most stressed out in an LA show. What and why? Because everybody comes out of the woodwork, especially those last the last two shows. I mean, oh, yeah. everybody wanted to go see those shows. But just in general, LA is kind of every band's hometown on on a on a regular basis, you know, cause it's LA is where the music business is, right? So your guest lists are out of control. Everybody wants to come in. You're getting all these last minute phone calls. The band's getting last minute phone calls, all this kind of, all this stupid shit. But when you're a band like Slayer and you play LA, so you got the LA thing and then your hometown happens to be LA too. So Tom's right. entire family would come out. Um, right. All of Carrie's friends would come out. When we go up to the Bay Area, that's when Paul and, and Gary's family would all come out. So family was always a, a, a good one to deal with and friends of family because they never know quite where to go. And uh, you always have to take care of them. Uh, as far as a 
disasters go? Well, you know, there's there's times when giant. I remember um, Welcome to Rockville. Yep. You've done a few of those, haven't you? Yep. Do they still have storms every single year? Yes, and yes, and this year at because uh, I'm working, I'm actually working with Danny Wimmer now a little bit. Um, the one um, Welcome to Rockville. Uh, that's wait a minute. Is that the Daytona one? That's the Daytona one, right? That's the Daytona yeah. one. I'm talking about one in Jacksonville, right? Is it? Oh. Well, the, 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 the one they didn't do. It's in Jacksonville, it's in Daytona now, I believe. Oh, okay. Daytona now, and three of the four days this year were rained out. Oh, was that during your wedding? What? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, because that's where Jose was. Yeah, three, three of the four days got rained out. That's crazy. I just, that was, a, that's a good one because we were playing that gig when it was in, um, when it was in Jacksonville. And I've got pictures of, of this storm cell coming in. And we literally, everybody had to find shelter. And they evacuated the entire 50,000 people. And I mean, it came fast. It came hard and quick, hail and all that. We we're looking at getting people out of there. There was uh, there was all kinds of um, electricity, lightning and everything going off everywhere. And I remember the band asking me, are we leaving? Are we leaving? And I'm like, nope, nope. And it was, it's funny because it was me and Carrie, I want to say, Chris from um, Fozzie. Oh, yeah. Chris Jericho. Yep. Chris Jericho from Fozzie. And, and then Steve, uh, a former player of the uh, one of our friends from Philadelphia Eagles. But okay. yeah, we we're all in this. We we're all in this crappy little um, office trailer. And I mean, it literally it sounded like the place was coming apart and yeah. having to sit there and, and wonder when when in this moment am I going to have to get everybody the hell out of there? Yeah. Luckily, the storm passed. There was another time in Sao Paulo with this other artist in Brazil and this other artist who will go unnamed. He liked to be late everywhere. And here we are at this major festival and he's two hours late. And, but he was notorious for being late. So he's two hours late and I was just a stage manager back then. And there was a tour manager, Rick, and we're standing there and, you know, promoters are in our face and they're just like, where, where is he? Where is he? Is he coming? Is he coming? Like, he's on his way. He's on his way. He's on his way. He wasn't, he was playing a video game. <laughs> They're tearing up. The, they're tearing up the the uh, venue. So it's it's a lull, right? And it's it was a long lull. And it's South America, and the place is packed. And they're tearing the place up. They're setting shit on fire. They're they're climbing. They're climbing de delay towers. It's the place is going nuts. We're packing up everything on stage. We decide we don't have a show. He's not going to get there in time. The promoter's like, you got to go. So literally, we're packing up. We're getting off the stage. They're trying to control the crowd, and the artist rolls. Mm -hmm. here here to play the show and uh we told him to turn around and go back to the hotel what about um tell me you probably have nothing you, this is probably not under your maybe well maybe it is let me just let me just ask a fucking question on a tour as big as slayers right especially when you're over like in europe or south america or whatever how do you guys keep because slayer obviously is sells a ton of merch um how do you how do you keep the supply coming in and and not running run out of stuff? It's always like fascinated me. Like on the, when you get to a band of the scale of Slayers, how do you keep the merch um, in inventory and not fucking sell out and go to a show and not have anything to sell? Well, you know, it's a, a really good question, Chris. So in in America, it's easy. They drop ship your stuff everywhere. You yeah. can have it show up at a venue in a pallet. It could show up in a bunch of boxes from from you know FedEx or something like that. It can show up in a truck. U.S. is easy, but overseas, it's a different thing. So when we go overseas, we usually, because of tariffs and, and um, you know, taxes and all this kind of import fees and export fees and all that kind of stuff, we don't bring our own merch. 
we have our merch designs and we hire a local company. Mm-hmm. In, in South America, it's a local company in every single country. Wow. Which is, so, you know, who you use in Brazil, you use in Brazil. And who you use in Bolivia, you use in Bolivia and so on, Chile and all that. So that's a lot. And our merch company, uh, most, most bands don't deal with their merch directly. They have a third party company deal with their merch. So our merch company would make all those deals and get all those produced and get us drop shipped and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was important because Slayer sold lots of merch. Yeah, for sure. Lots of merch, especially that final tour. They crushed on the merch. But of course, it was the last time to get it. But like in Europe, it's the same deal. So we have there's a company in Europe that our merch company would call to produce the merch and we would get it drop shifted again, easier there. Southeast Asia, Australia, South America is always a little bit harder. Australia, obviously a little bit easier because again, it's just one country. But if you go to New Zealand, you still have to get a company in New Zealand to make your shirts over there. Now there, there are plenty of bands that try to carry it, but when you're a band the size of Slayer or bigger, it's just best to find local, local vendors to, or local producers to partner with you. Fascinating. I always wondered that. What are some of your favorite countries or regions or to play or to tour? And what are some of your least favorite? My favorite place, I think, is Kerry's least favorite place, and that's Japan. Okay. He's probably said this already in the press or something. It's just, it's not really a culture that mixes well with him. Um, He doesn't hate it. The cool part about Japan is they're just so well organized over there. So to me and to the crew, it's when you go to Japan and Australia for that matter, but Japan more so. They give you everything. They have a Japanese tour manager for you. They have a Japanese production manager for you. All your crew guys are replaced with Japanese guys. And so you get there and on your first show, you set everything up. They follow around with a notepad and take notes. And then you don't worry about the rest of the time you're in Japan. You show up to the gig. It's all set up. It looks better than you've ever set it up. Everything's very organized. Everything's very well done. So between that and the fact that I love Japan as a country, as a culture, I think that was probably one of my favorite places. Besides that, I really like South America. Mm-hmm. South America is very hard. <laughs> it's, it's not, I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but I speak cocktail Spanish, but that's about it. I don't speak the languages. We would always have, in any foreign country that we were in, we'd always have translators except Europe. Um, but yeah, Japan, we always had translators, South America, there's always translators, Southeast Asia, India, there's always translators. Uh, so yeah, South America, I guess you could probably say that's my favorite and least favorite. Cause sometimes, I mean, it's just terrible down there and you just don't know what you're getting. And sometimes the, the gear is junky and you have between every country. Cause it's, again, it's a continent. People see, see it as like a country, but going in between all those countries, isn't like Europe where they're all unionized. It's not like America where we're all states. You go through customs and and all this stuff and we carried all of our gear because Slayer had very specific um, stuff that is their sound. It's not like you can just rent a Kerry King Marshall head anywhere in the world. He has to bring it. Same thing with their, their outboard effects and all that kind of stuff. It's all very custom. So we would carry a lot. So that would be tough. And the other places I don't really care for, hmm. Mexico, well, Mexico, again, it's like the food's great. The people are great, difficult to work in. Right. Uh, same, same thing with all the Mediterranean countries, Italy, Spain, uh, Greece. They're all great countries to visit, <laughs> but they're really not the best countries for work ethic or, or um, mm, the uh, feeling of trying to get something done. Like, you know, in Italy, it's, Again, I think it's a lot with the Mediterranean, but in Italy, it's like everything's five minutes. 
you know, there are const- there's constantly a cigarette break, there's constantly a, a coffee break. So for like American, American tours and stuff like that, we're all trying to get it done, get it done, get it done. They're all like, well, you know, it's going to get done. It's going to get done. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to get done in five minutes. And then you ask them 20 minutes later, they're like, yeah, it's going to get done in five minutes. So I'm going to go have a coffee. Uh, but again, love visiting those countries, just not my favorite places to work. What about the, the pyro, right? So like, how do you, not every venue is the same. Not every venue has the same stage setup. Not every venue has the same capacity. Da, 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 da. Like, how do you guys manage that from venue to venue? Like, I'm sure it's planned way in advance, but did you, it, I'm sure that there is venues that there's limitations on what you can do, right? Or well, there's, there's laws. There's laws everywhere, right? Especially when it comes to fire. Um, right. It's very dangerous. It can kill people. When uh, when the routing's being done with management and agent and all that, trying to you know plan the tour, uh, they would involve me and the production manager more the production manager because he would speak to the venues just to make sure that the venues we're going into can do it. We uh, get the different laws because I mean there would be times where we wouldn't be able to use propane, and propane was the majority of the fire. Right, propane makes the best fire, but there's also these other things that a lot of bands use uh, now because um, they're really great. I call I call it hairspray pyro because basically it's like a it's like a can of Aquanet, but it's not Aquanet. You remember Aquanet? No, we used to do that as kids with a lighter. I I had long hair and when I was a teenager and used Aquanet all the time because I grew up in the hair <laughs> metal era. So <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so it's it's like you know it's it's aerosol. Right. So we would run into plenty of places in Europe, um, all over the place, even places in the States where we couldn't use our propane package, which was the big fire. But we would have to use the the aerosol uh, package, which is, you know, the the columns that would shoot up like downstage and like um, um, some of the some of the weird effects that we would do, like the wave effect behind the, the uh, drummer and stuff. Most of that was aerosol fire. How do the guys deal with that? Because I remember being, you know, six, eight, ten rows off the stage with my friends, thanks to you, and feeling waves of heat. Like, how, how does the fucking band and the crew deal with that? I tell you, in the in the hotter places, it it's really it's really hot. I mean, it gets really really hot up on stage. If you're Gary Holt, you're almost walking into it because he just loves it. I mean, it, and you saw probably saw him plenty of times with the firewalls we would have come up off the uh, Marshall stacks. He would get as close as he could and just sit there and backbend and wail his solos. He loved the fire. Dave Lombardo really liked the fire too. And then, and strangely enough, so did so did um, uh, Paul. Paul would sit back there in the drums and it would look like he was like On in fire. the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and he was eating it up. Eating it up. I mean, Lombardo, he would put like um, aloe vera on his arms and stuff because he would feel the heat. But um, Bostaff ate it. He's just like, oh, I can't have enough of this fire. But they definitely know. we. The stage is always marked. So the stage is marked with, with different colored tape and everything. So they know where they couldn't pass. So it's like, you don't pass this line. You're going to get too close to the fire. If you're comfortable sharing it, we, obviously I don't want to, I'm not going to ask how much Slayer made for a show, but do you know what the budget of cost for a show and that last tour was with crew and fire and this and that and the other thing. Yeah, but I can't share it. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. I totally but understand. I mean, as, as far as that, as far as that went up and any touring band out there knows how much it costs to be on the road, right? right? Every single day, right? You break that down in your budget. And that's, 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 a, that's a metric that every band knows. It's like, okay, whether we're a show day or whether we're a day off, it costs us X amount, $30,000 to be out here a day. 
right? Yeah. So, and that's what a lot of people don't understand because they're like, oh yeah, the band is making $100,000 or $200,000 or $2 million or whatever. Um, but they don't really understand that, you know, that has to pay for buses and trucks and hotel rooms and for diems. And I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of those moving parts. So yeah, any budget that I would ever do, you could look at my spreadsheets and it tell you how much we, how much we cost per day, how much we cost um, all the way down to, to uh, days leading up what it costs per day, leading up to our tour, all that. It's there. Wow. What do you miss most about being on the road with Slayer? I miss my friends. I, mean, that's, I think that's one of the things that really hit all of us during the pandemic. You know, when you're, when you tour so long and you're gone every year for six to eight to 10 months or however long a year is, you don't really realize how much you, Hey, you know, you're missing your family, you're missing home and everything. But when you don't go back to Europe, I mean, I, this is the first year, in, well, without the pandemic, I mean, I went to Europe for every, every year for over 12 years. I'm not going to Europe. There's so many friends I have there. So the pandemic really woke that up for me. And I think it woke that up for a lot of people. I never saw myself as much of a people person, you know, and, and it turned out that that was just words in my head. I'm a total people person. <laughs> I, I miss people. I, I, I miss people in Europe. I miss, I miss my friends that I would see on the road, all these different promoters and everything. I think that's what I miss the most is, is that is seeing all these people and, you know, between that and the travel, but you know, when you've been kind of everywhere, the travel kind of gets old. Yeah, um, I'm sure. You know, and then toward the end, you know, Slayer, we stayed in nice hotels um, because of because there toward the end, Tom's voice was only good for two shows in a row. So there was lots of days off. We wouldn't do we would do maybe three, four shows in a week total. So there was a lot of days off. So I think I got a good amount of the travel out of my my bones. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, I'm still traveling. I still love traveling all the time. So but I would say the most is I miss my friends. Got it. So last thoughts, what are you doing post Slayer? So when Slayer finished up two weeks before my 50th birthday, and I'd always said that I didn't want to be one of those old dogs out on the road who has a bunch of stuff at home that he never sees and never does. And he's just always touring. But again, perspectives when you're in the time. So I was looking for something to get off the road at that final Slayer tour. Cause I'm like, okay, I kind of gave myself this, this fake bar of 50 years old. I'm going to try to find something new to do. So there we were Slayer ends two weeks later. I turned 50. I took a big trip around the world, to all these different places. I didn't go for like mm, a little over 40 days. And then um, came back to the pandemic. I had had a few different things going on. I mean, but they all fell apart on, you know, March 13th or whatever that date was. Yep. So coming out of the pandemic, I'm like, oh shit, well, this is going to be really hard to find something locally. During the pandemic, I I, I applied for some jobs with like um, eSports because eSports was still happening and they, they do these giant events with production. So I'm like, I'm perfect for that. So I tried that avenue. That didn't work out. I tried a couple different avenues and nothing was working out. So I had been talking to this band Shinedown um, during the break. Matter of fact, in 2020, they were just going to do a couple of little small tours. We were already talking. I was going to do those and take kind of an easier year. Mm -hmm. And because, I mean, I've been touring for so long and again, trying to find that terrestrial job. And well, and then the pandemic happened. So Shinedown kept in touch with me. Really great management, good band, uh, great management. I really enjoyed working with those guys. But in the end, there was a really good example of where a tour manager like me came into an existing band and, and crew and we just weren't the best fit for each other mm -hmm. so while i was on a, a break with them 
last year, I heard I was here in Denver and um, I've been in Denver forever. I was you know, work for every promoter in this town. I came back here to do a, a show I used to do all the time called Reggae on the Rocks, which is a two two day reggae festival. And I was doing it for a company. You know, I was doing it for Live Nation. And so I, I came here and um, I'm at Red Rocks and I'm seeing all these people I hadn't seen in a while. And everyone's high fiving. We're out of the you know, pandemic. We're doing shows again. And I heard that AEG, who I know all the people who run AEG in this town, I heard that they were looking for a, a director of production. To, to help rebuild after the, the pandemic. And I thought some one of my other friends already had it. Well, he did, and he didn't want to do it anymore. He just wanted to go back to doing shows instead of being the guy in charge. So he stepped down. I made some phone calls that day. And about three weeks later, I, I had this job. So now I work for um, a major concert promoter and I oversee a, a massive production department. And I mean, we we have a pretty heavy volume of shows and we do... Red Rocks will have somewhere around 180, 190 events this year. Wow. And we'll do 160 of those oh, out shit. of our office. And that's just Red Rocks. We also own three clubs, 500 cap, 1,000 cap, and 1,700 cap. We own three clubs in this town. We own um, the Mission Ballroom, which is a wonderful concert venue that was built from the ground up and opened in 2019. It's 4,000 cap. We own and operate a small arena which is 6,000, 7,000 cap up in Broomfield. And then we own and operate the uh, the shed, the big amphitheater, Fiddler's wow. Green, which is like 18,000. So we've got all of those venues plus Red Rocks, plus we do, I mean, we just did a five-stage EDM festival this past weekend. So it's big. I asked the universe, I was really burned out with, with touring and, and tour managing. It was, I'd kind of gotten bored with it. And I really needed a challenge. So I asked the universe to give me a challenge and the universe abided and gave me the biggest challenge. I, I, I couldn't even imagine how big this challenge is. So here I am working my butt off. Good for you, man. If you ever need somebody to come take a fresh look at your food and beverage programs at all those venues, you just give me a call. Dude, come on down. <laughs> we got this. We have this great place it, uh, uh, right south of downtown Denver. We're in a high rise and, um, have an unbelievable, and I'm looking at it right now. We've got an unbelievable south and west view of the mountains. I have a, we have a wonderful spare guest suite All right. um, for you and Natalie. And um, it's got a Ritz Carlton bed in it. So, <laughs> and its own bathroom, just like a hotel. This matter of fact, this find, building is like a, a hotel. That between all those different venues, there's two or three cool shows that you'd want to see and I'd want to see, and we'll make a week of it. Well, Trilogy of Terror is coming up. What's that? Trilogy of Terror. It's um, oh, I think have you heard of that tour? Trilogy of Terror. No, who's that? It's like in this moment, and that's a bunch of different metal bands. But I think we got Mastodon yeah, coming yeah. here soon. Blackfield Brides and um, shit, the other one. Right, I can't think of it. I failed you, Chris. <laughs> I'm supposed to know these things. I know. <laughs> but that's coming up. That's coming up next month, end of next month. But yeah, we'll we'll talk, Chris. And you guys should come up and visit. It's such a great city. I love it. I, w I was there a couple of years ago um, for a couple of days doing a little exploration of a potential business, but, uh, but yeah, it's gorgeous there. Um, we will have to go. I would love it if there was a B and E here. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I'm opening a, I'm opening a steakhouse um, at Caesars in Las Vegas that was announced this week. So we're going to get oh, yeah, you there. All right, listen, we're going to, we're going to let you, let you go have your nightly cocktail. Matt, you look like you're squinting. What are you, you look like you're actually outside in the sun. In the summer, the problem is, so in my office, 
the windows facing out have the sun hit me for like two hours a day. And gotcha. I didn't think about this. Normally I go work in the lounge or something during these two hours because it sucks so badly. Got it. It's almost the golden hour on you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Mike, thanks so much for sharing your stories with us, not just today, but last week also. And um, I'm glad that we have reconnected. Uh, we, re- we, we officially reconnected at the weddings almost eight weeks ago now, which is unbelievable. But um, been married but for two months. Have, let's stay. Let's, yeah, let's 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 uh, let's hang. Let's stay in touch. And thanks again. I'm I'm sure this is fascinating for me. So I'm sure it was fascinating for our listeners. So thank you very very much. Now all the things I can't I couldn't think of during this interview. I'll think of it in about twenty minutes. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. In a few months, when we when 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 we have a guest drop out, I'll call you and I'll be like, we we need you. We have an emergency. We we, we need we need we need you to fill a slot. I'll start writing shit down too. Uh, we can do stories because I've got a lot of crazy tour stories, and I'd have to, I'd have to look through them because again, you know, there's weird ones. But during my time with tour, with Flair, I also tour managed Marilyn Manson, Rob Zombie, Social Distortion, um, uh, George Lopez, Babel Gilberto, a Japanese band called uh, <laughs> Maximum the Hormone. George Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I've got some stories, especially you know. From some of those bands I mentioned, figure figure out the ones that you're comfortable telling on air, and we'll definitely bring you back on in a couple months. All right, man. All right, man. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day. All right, so that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast? for the first time in your miserable life. I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? (laughs) So do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts.